Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks again for being a part of this show. Um, I'm Phil Dark, you're a host, and I'm here with my brother, Brandon Stiver. Today, as usual, we have a great guest and very looking forward to, very much looking forward to getting into this uh, conversation. But before we do, just want to check in. Brandon, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing well. The holidays are upon us. Uh, you know, my, my son is my 14-year-old. He normally wants to listen to pop music. He's always asking for Christmas music. It's kind of driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work at Food for Less back in, uh, back in uh, high school and early college. You know, that's a, that's a West Coast chain. You know that one. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. And man, as soon as Thanksgiving was over, they just started pumping that stuff. And I'm so, I guess, so tired of it so quickly. I don't know. Yeah. How, about, how about you, man? How, how are the uh, holidays treating you? Well, similar in the, in the car with my family. They, they, and, and not only that, but the, the Christmas movies, you know, they're, they're oh, sure. looking to watch a movie. It's, we're recording this right before Thanksgiving. So with last episode with uh, Susan Hillis, if you didn't listen to that, go back, listen to it. Fantastic interview with a very, very wise woman who's got an incredible experience. Um, but uh, that one released right before Thanksgiving. And we are yeah. actually recording this right before Thanksgiving as well. So, um, we're already talking about Christmas movies. We have our Christmas tree already. We're putting up our Christmas lights today. You know, it's uh, it's not the typical Thanksgiving week. I'm not going to lie, but, you know, I kind of like it. That way it'll be done. We'll be getting it going and we'll be able to be festive right afterwards. But it's been a, um, you know, it's been a weird fall. So going right back into the weirdness of uh, of when we're doing this Christmas stuff. But I, I'm with you. I think the Pentatonics Christmas one is the one that gets at me. Uh, quicker than others i think because we listen good. to that so much over the year no they they are very good but when the, the kids listen to it a lot yeah so, yeah my, you know my, it, it gets to it gets to you yeah my, my son really likes them too but they're good they are good they're very very talented it's a lot it's amazing what they do with their voices but uh but anyway yeah so i again i we we could uh, we could just kind of coast into the uh, into Christmas, but instead we're gonna we're continuing to bring you some great content, folks. So so who do we have today? Yeah, well I'm excited today. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Tomrat with us from Salamta Family Project in Ethiopia. Uh, Tomrat is uh, he's the Ethiopia director there. Um, he's a he's a care lever himself and now running just a great program. Uh, focused around alternative family care uh, in in Addis Ababa. Um, great guy, great organization. Um, so I was excited to to invite him to to come and just share with us a little bit about his story and and uh, and what they're doing now um, to help kids uh, get the love and nurture of a family um, that otherwise may have been elsewhere. So uh, yeah, we're excited to get into this with Tom Rock. Yeah, so am I. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, we actually had brief introduction over in Otis when I was over there a few years ago, but we also were able to do training with Salamta for the disc over in, um, in Otis that during that time. And so it was fantastic organization doing amazing things. We had Marissa on earlier in the show, folks, if you remember her, but, but we're going to get right to it with Tom Rot. So let's get to it. Well, Tamara, it is a pleasure to have you on the Think Orphan podcast. Uh, I've just uh, so enjoyed getting to know your guys' organization over the last, uh, last uh, I don't know, it's been over a year now since I've been able to engage with Salamta Family Project and, 
and uh, all the good work that you guys are doing. So uh, I would love if maybe you could even just uh, take a moment to just briefly introduce yourself and, and kind of what led you uh, into this space of, of working with orphan and vulnerable children. Thanks. Uh, very happy to be on this podcast. It's a privilege. My name is uh, Tamrat. Uh, I am married and have five children. I was born in the eastern part of Ethiopia called Harar. It's, uh, it's one of the holy cities for Muslims, probably among four holy cities at Muslims pilgrimage. That's where I was born. And then uh, uh, when I was like three years old, my father died and my mom was very young. She was unable to raise me as a, a young woman. And also she had some financial difficulties. So my family came together and discussed about it and they decided to put me in an orphanage. Uh, well, this orphanage uh, was just getting established in the southern part of Ethiopia, way you know, different from where I grew up. It's about 275 kilometers from the capital. So uh, I, grow up there till age 18 and I aged out uh, from the orphanage and moved on with life in Addis Ababa. And so as you were in Addis, you got involved with Salamta. Um, how'd that come about? Well, uh, it's a long story. I came to Addis, uh, worked with Canadian missionaries from uh, Canada, PAOC was called. Worked there uh, with the church, got involved in the ministry with the church and did that for about 15 years. And I did my studies at the Ethiopian Graduate School of Theology. Uh, I did my developmental studies. And when I finished, that was in 2000. 15 and end of 2015 and and got hired by the college to work on a project called maternal newborn child health that was uh, a training um, done for religious leaders across Ethiopia that comprises of all religion groups in Ethiopia so that project was coming to an end and I was looking for a job uh, there is this website called Ethio Jobs where you can go on and check for any job. So I learned about Salamta uh, from, from Ethio Jobs uh, and it says it was looking for a country director and, and uh, went through the profile and, uh, and was very interested with how Salamta does orphan care program right in the heart of Addis Ababa. And that kind of captured me. And I thought, you know, I could fit into this. Uh, I've been praying about it for long because that project was coming to an end. And I was praying, Lord, where do you want me to be next in life? I always have wanted to uh, work with orphans because I can easily identify myself mm -hmm. with orphans. And also can fill the gap with, uh, with, with people engaged in the work. Uh, now I have become a person with my own family, so I thought I can bridge. So going through Salamta's website gave me that 
that passion wanting to get involved more uh, because Salamta was doing that work very differently than what I'm used to. So right. on the website, it says it's a family-based, community integrated and no child age out. So those were things that I've never heard in my life growing up in an orphanage. It's never been a family based. It's never been community mm -hmm. integrated. Mm -hmm. And of course, you age out when you are 18. That's what exactly has happened. So that kind of captured my thought and, and gave me courage to pursue uh, and, and, and work with Salamta. So indeed, I found it to be exactly what the Salamta family project says on the website, that family homes were were situated in the heart of community to the point that you cannot tell which one of those family houses belong to Salamta. And engaging with um, some of the kids learned that some of them were already in their 20, early 20s, uh, which uh, again confirmed that a child don't age out from Salamta because of age. And most of the kids who have come to Salamta had a mismatch between their age and, and their grade because most of them have never been to school prior coming to Salamta. So that really explained very well why uh, Salamta was very unique. Yeah, and oh, definitely. That's, yeah, that's why I was so much interested and passionate working with Salamta. Now, that's great. And as we said in the introduction, you you know, when, when <clears throat> before we brought you on, um, we interviewed Marissa, uh, Stam, who's who was the, the director um, uh, earlier in the in the Think Orphan podcast. So if you if you didn't listen to that, folks, go back and listen. You're going to hear a lot more about uh, Salamta and the and the vision and the mission and what where it came from and what it's doing. And but uh, right now, I want to go back into a little bit of something you mentioned is you talked about going into an orphanage early on. You know, your parents put you in the orphanage, which is a lot of people might wait that doesn't make sense but i think most people listening to this podcast will will understand that that happens more than more than we think but what were some of the components of living in an orphanage that an average person um outside the orphanage might not realize and and what were the some of the harder parts about growing up in an orphanage let me begin with that so some of the hardest part growing up in the orphanage is that you don't have hope like you're just there uh, through program, so there is no talk about uh, having your own family. There was uh, corporal punishment in most cases. Uh, that was brutal uh, and unthinkable, so there was no psychosocial support. You kind of figure out life on your own, sometimes uh, hitting a wall. That's how I would express it. Like You hit the wall and you learn, oh, it's there but you, you have no whatsoever guidance like other than getting you fed or clothing and, and uh, getting to school. So those were uh, not being done intentionally. Uh, we, I didn't have any psychosocial support. I don't remember having any counseling with all traumas that I have walked through in life. So that's been uh, mostly uh, the toughest uh, experience uh, I had in the orphanage. Um, most people don't realize that kids in the orphanage are created in the image of God. Uh, I mean, we are kids who've gone through trauma, some sort of trauma, some 
walk of life that are very difficult. And people don't understand that. So because of our behavior, people misjudge us saying uh, different things. They don't understand that we had once a family and that we are created in the image of God and we do have that dignity God created us with. So most people don't realize that uh, in most cases, they see us very differently, even coming out of the orphanage, going to school, everybody points at you saying, here comes that orphan child. So they make you feel bad or they make you feel kind of responsible for what has happened in life when actually it's different otherwise. So those are uh, like things people don't understand about us like orphans. We, we're not created to be necessarily violent or aggressive or stuff. It's things that have had in, in our life expressed that way because uh, uh, we are not in control of that. It's, it's, it's there within us uh, as we were brought up early in our uh, childhood. So that's something people don't understand. So people should understand that we, we are uniquely made and wonderfully made by God, just like any human beings. We, we are not that different. It's just some of our past experience, some of shaped uh, some of our behaviors. Uh, but if there is a good intervention in that, that could possibly turn out to be very good. So what would you say, <clears throat> our ways and you know we talked a lot about this in the in pursuit of orphan excellence because i was able i was able to write with a bunch of co-authors in the past the orphan stigma that is that that you just referred to there you know you go to school and and it's oh that's there's the orphan kids or there's the you know like you said it's a it's almost a second rate human and how can we reverse that how can we um help people understand that uh what what are what are the steps and i I know you guys are doing this some of the stuff you're doing in salamta but what are the things that we can do to help people understand that people are people no matter you know what what labels we like to put on people whether it's in india with the caste system whether it's what you're talking about with the orphan what are ways we can do that um practically uh, in our world? Yeah, I would say, I think it will be great to have people involved in the orphan care program, whether it's through the church or through any other organizations that are involved in this. I think getting this um, right message to the people would help that everybody's created in the image of God. And yes, sin has interrupted or disrupted that image to some extent, but even worse, it's what happens in the socioeconomic and in the sociopolitical stuff that creates most of uh, these problems. So we, we, we are meant uh, to be having families, families that we call our own. So if there is a wrap around care support that comes from families, individuals, organizations into the orphan care system, I think that will change. And getting people trained on TBRI uh, and trauma-informed care, those I think 
will be very helpful to get that out, out to uh, societies and people to have a better perspective that we are no different than anyone else on this planet. Uh, but helping um, families or societies understand change those circumstances that create orphan world, uh, I think would be very helpful in changing the mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the phrase that came to mind when you were talking about that is proximity breeds empathy. And, um, and it also breeds understanding and it breeds friendship and it breeds relationship and it breeds respect and accountability. And all those things I think are things that we need to do. As you said, we need to understand that not only, you know, the orphaned and the vulnerable are made in the image of God, but everybody is made in the image of God, right? Like that is, we are god's creation none of us were exceptions to the rule that we are fearfully and wonderfully made right we are all part of that exactly. and so to remember that i think that should change every relationship we go into um no matter what it is um so you know i want to want to move on to the to the next thing we have here which is related to it um but what have you seen work well in whether it's with salamta or other projects that you've been involved with or studied or seen um, work well when it comes to prevention, intervention, restoration for for the orphaned and vulnerable children. Well, in Salamta, uh, we have this model of wraparound care, and we have two programs. One is a sort of preventive work we do, and the other one is uh, 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 restoration to these orphan families by creating forever family homes. So, on one aspect, we are involved empowering uh, biological uh, families stay together. So we, we have a prog program called outreach support where we do a wraparound care with education and health and wellness, psychosocial support and spiritual development. These are our wraparound care that, are, we, that we are implementing in Salamta. So both in our outreach program and what we call our forever family home. So in the outreach program, we help families stay together. So how we do that is through those former cornerstone, cornerstones I mentioned earlier. So we have a team of staff that are well trained on uh, TBRI and trauma-informed care who goes out to these families regularly and, and, and do the wraparound care, whether it's spiritual need they have or, or physical need, psychosocial need they have, educational, whatever need the family has. So the team goes and do a wraparound care so that those families are, will stay together, which otherwise then uh, the kids might end up on the streets of Addis Ababa or the family might um, get apart. So that's one aspect of preventive work we are doing in Salamta. And then on the other side of restorative work is we have uh, a forever family home program where we take uh, kids from out of government institutions. So in Ethiopia, we work with a government body called Women and Children Affairs. So anything that you do with women, children, has to go through that office. So we work in partnership with them, bringing out kids out of government institutions and into Salamta Forever Family Home. 
So the way we do that is we prepare moms uh, uh, taking training on TBRI and trauma-informed care prior bringing these kids to the Salamta family home. So, and then we do uh, go out to the orphanage and do our own assessment, whether that child has a biological living pattern that we can reunify, that's one thing. The second thing we do is we assess if there is a possibility of kinship care. If that's not in the place, maybe adoption. If that's not the place, then we bring kids into our forever family program. That's more of restorative program we have in Salamta where kids would find a safe place and where kids find a family home that they can call their home for the rest of their life. So the way we do that is we bring a widowed mother who has two biological children together with his orphan kids from government institutions. So it will be a total of six to eight now. We put them together uh, as a family home so, so that kids coming to our forever family home would learn what it means to grow up in a family, learn what it means to have brother, sister, an auntie or a mother. So that way they can reconnect back to the society when they launched from our program. That way they have that restorative uh, support from, um, from Salamta uh, going ahead with their life. So that's how we are experiencing um, uh, with Salamta. And now we are in the process of opening a community center, a little different than our forever family home where we have a community center to do the wraparound care with families that are raising their uh, their extended relative ch children. In most cases, there are kids who are abandoned. There are kids uh, who are on their own because their parents have left, died, or whatever. So they, there is that kinship care happening in the society or also adoption. So we are opening a community center that would come around those family and do a wraparound care. That's going to be in a larger scale coming, Lord willing, in 2022. So we are pulling up uh, things together to start. So that that would mean these families will be taking care of their relatives in the community where they are. And Salamta would do some assistant, assistance as necessary as possible, but mainly we do uh, help by uh, pointing out to different resources, even resources that Salamta has, or schooling, medication, or whatever resources this family are in need will come along uh, a wraparound care that we provide in the center. So this is a kind of path that we are following. Definitely the, the, the forever family home has worked very well. We have kids who've launched out from Salamta who are leading their own life, getting married and having children, but they still call Salamta home. So they, they could always come back to us for any support, like any psychosocial support or sometimes financial support if they are in a hole. So we are there as their uh, uh, family. So that's how we've been doing the preventive and restorative care in Salanta. 
Yeah, that's really good to hear. And, you know, as I've gotten to know your guys' program a little bit, you know, each, and we talk about this on the show regularly, each, each country, each community has their own context. And in each of those different contexts, there's going to be gaps that need to be filled, um, especially when we talk about care environments, right? So, of course, there's children's homes and orphanages there. Um, you know, we, we, we overfill that uh, care setting quite a bit. Um, but foster care is underdeveloped. Adoption is not very common. Um, so what you guys have identified is an opportunity to get kids out of who would otherwise be in orphanages, get them out of those environments and, and give them a contextualized, you know, true family environment, um, the, the love of a mother, the joys of the community. I mean, it's, and it's filling a gap. So it's, it's really, uh, really, really important, the work that you guys are doing. You know, I kind of want to turn a little bit, um, Tamra, you know, in the news, we're hearing about Ethiopia these days, and, and not, not necessarily for the reasons that we would uh, hope to be hearing about, about our friends there. Um, could you, but, but maybe some of our listeners aren't really familiar with kind of what's going on there. Could you take just a couple minutes and uh, provide our listeners with kind of an insider's view uh, as, as an Ethiopian, uh, as someone that lives there and works there and has his family there? Uh, you know, what's going on there? Uh, can you help us understand, uh, you know, what's happening geopolitically and the conflict and, and all of that? Yes, Absolutely. So it's been almost a year that uh, Ethiopia ha has been conflicts in the northern part of Ethiopia. And it's affecting three regions. So Ethiopia is kind of divided in ethnic regions. So in the northern part of Ethiopia, we have uh, Tigrayan region, and we have Amhara region, and, and Afa region. So Awar kind of got broke last year in October when, uh, when a group named TPLF, the Tigray People's uh, Front Liberation, I think if I'm right, TPLF, yeah. Uh, so there was, there was like a misunderstanding and a conflict um, among the political groups. As I said earlier, it's an, an ethnic groups or political groups that we have in Ethiopia. So that was created uh, in the 1990s, early 1990s, when, uh, when a group called Ehadug, uh, that comprises of all the, all the ethnic political groups come together. So within that is TPL, if the Tigray has its own group and the Mahara has its own group, the Afar, the Oromo, everybody has that group. So, but they all came together and created a, a group called Ehadug. Uh, Ethiopian people's uh, uh, something, democratic something is a name. Uh, so, but uh, in 2018 uh, or even early 2017, uh, the people of Ethiopia, but mainly the Maharas in the Oromo came together to revolt against the then government, which is Ehad, that compromise comprises of TPLF and others because it was doing a lot of damage in the country. So there was a huge tension to ethnic conflict in the country. So the prime minister who succeeded the previous prime minister, Melazina, who passed away, couldn't control the country. 
in the country was boiling uh, because there was a fear of ethnic tension, uh, even war uh, that was out there. So he stepped down from his position. And uh, so Ehad became as a group and kind of wanted to re-elect somebody to replace him. So Abi, Dr. Abi was elected into the position and Abi tried to bring unity in the country and wanted to establish a new political party that comprised comprise of every political, ethnic political party with the name Prosperity. Then TPLF didn't like that. So there was lots of aggression, lots of political differences on that. So TPLF kind of uh, moved out of that group and wanted to have their own independent thing up in the northern part of Ethiopia. TPLF didn't want that coalition. Uh, so then that I think even uh, created a bigger turmoil. And then later came election where we were supposed to have election in 2020, but because of COVID, uh, the electoral board that is uh, uh, that is uh, uh, independent from the government politics said we can't have elections, so they wanted to postpone. But TPLF didn't like that, so TPLF did their own election, even if the electoral board said you can continue ruling. You don't have to have like election going on, but they did that, so that even intensified the conflict. So Abi sent elders to, as it is in our custom, to TPLF saying, let's avoid any war, any conflict, any bloodshed. So there, there were women and very famous people, even our famous athlete, Haile Gabriel Selassie, uh, went up to the north asking for peace negotiation, but TPLF said, it's too late, we can't. Uh, but so October last year, TPLF uh, did massacre on our troops in the northern part of Ethiopia that was guarding the country and that specifically um, uh, that region uh, because we have had that war with Eritrea and we still have that troops portraying, I mean, uh, uh, regulating and patrolling the border. So they turned against uh, the troops, they slaughtered, killed many people. That's how the war broke. And then some of our troops fled to Eritrea Eritrea government welcomed the group and, and, and of course people in Abi flew to Eritrea, regrouped and start to fight back. So all that chaos happened uh, after that in, in that group. So meanwhile, uh, our parliament labeled TPLF as a terrorist group, uh, uh, recent, like after the war broke out because TPLF was doing things that are that are done typically by terrorists, like going into certain village in the Mahara region in Afar, killing women, destroying hospitals, robbing equipments and, uh, and setting farms on fire. All those sort of things happened in the Northern part of Ethiopia. And the Ethiopian government was accused of doing genocide, but recently the UN, the UN humanitarian uh, uh, department did uh, uh, like research up there uh, with the human right thing in Ethiopia and the UN, they both did that and came up with a report that the government soldiers actually haven't done any genocide up in the north, but rather it's the TPLF, but there was 
gender-based violence committed by Ethiopian troops, which I think the government is taking uh, accountable uh, for soldiers who have committed that. So, so now it's intensified war, um, lots of teenage, I think the, the UN, uh, um, the UN uh, has estimated about three, uh, million people displaced because of the war in that region. Among that is uh, uh, like 60% of that uh, displacement is children under the age of 17 and children uh, who are unaccompanied by their parents are displaced internally. So the thing in the north is getting worse, and UNICEF reports that uh, that mostly kids are affected by it, and mothers' children are affected by it. And so there is starvation, displacement up in the northern part of Ethiopia, and war is still going on now. And I think the prime minister now went to the war front just the other day to lead the troops in fight with TPLF. So it's basically TPLF as a political group, not all Tigrayans uh, fighting with uh, the rest of Ethiopia, like all the people of Ethiopia. So that's what basically is happening. It's sad to learn that uh, many children are becoming orphans and abandoned, displaced and are exposed to war. I mean, exposed to um, uh, uh, hunger yeah, uh, and are not getting what the children are supposed to get. No education, no nothing. Like yeah. it's a whole chaos. Well, and and that's just um. Thank you so much for for giving us that that really excellent rundown. I mean, one of the things that we've happened to be talking about um in this season of Think Orphan has been around you know these greater contexts we talked with ashley um about what's going on in myanmar uh, we talked with uh kara wilson garcia uh about what's going on in el salvador and and now to hear from you as far as what's going on in ethiopia and you know talking about three million forcibly displaced people um i mean that is that is just uh I don't even have words for that. It's just, it's just, it's just so sad and and so huge, right? Um, and you mention, you know, the children and what a high percentage of those are, in fact, children. I mean, um, maybe you could just kind of um, share a little bit more, even just about the the plight of children specifically within that. You mentioned the starvation. You mentioned the displacement. Um, I mean, what 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 could be better for them? Like what, what, what would hope even look like, or, 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 you know, what, what are just the drastic effects of this, you know, that's having, that's happening on orphan and vulnerable children in Ethiopia because of all of this? Well, uh, there has been an estimate of 5 million orphans living in Ethiopia. Now that number is going to increase uh, because, um, thousands of kids have lost their parents, their biological parents, especially with, uh, with the killing of TPLF coming into Afar and into Amhara regions, killing randomly people, even kids, even they've been killing animals, right? So in terms of the orphan crisis, it's going to increase in significant percentage uh, because that region 
have lots of problems, not only war, but uh, that region has been under safety. Tigray itself, for instance, like the, the, there are 2 million families under the safety net program, even when everything was at peace, right? So the geographical uh, nature of that region isn't like the southern or the western part of the country where you have a fertile soil. Th that is one thing. So if you add war on the top of that, and, and if we are talking the group putting on fire fields, the crops that have been harvested, putting on fire. So that's going to intensify the hunger. So the first uh, group that will be affected of hunger will be children. Uh, aid is not getting there as much as it should have because of the conflict. Yeah. So there are thousands of children who are malnourished according to the UNICEF report. And if, if there is not going to be a proper intervention in that, we're going to have a loss in that yeah. part of the country. But the number of orphans is going to increase significantly and we're going to see that once this thing is over so there is going to be a huge need in that part of the country yeah and and that and one of the things you didn't even mention in there was uh COVID-19 which is something that everybody's oh. dealing with right uh in our last episode of Think Orphan we we met with Dr. Susan Hillis who was giving us a rundown that there's you know, estimates of at least 5.2 million more orphans throughout the world. And then when you layer on, you know, the poverty, when you layer on the conflict, when you layer on COVID-19, um, I mean, I, I just imagine that, that, that uh, the, um, that the needs are, are far more than we can envision. Uh, they just seem tremendous. I, I was uh, contacted by one of your guys' staff members, Margaret, uh, on the U.S. office about a, a day of prayer that you guys were having just a few days ago uh, for Ethiopia. And, and certainly I and, and us are joining our prayers with all of you guys. And, and in a lot of ways, um, you know, even as you mentioned, you know, starvation and aid is not going to get through in a lot of ways, it kind of um, highlights this greater need um, for family and community type of strengthening, right? Um, that if we actually had a better base for families and communities, then that would mitigate some of these um, some of these challenges, you know, when these conflicts do arise. But um, I don't know. What do you think? In what ways does this conflict kind of highlight the need for family and community strengthening? Well, this very conflict is creating high inflation, even in Addis, in the, in the surroundings. Uh, uh, people are struggling to make through. So there has been an initiation by the government to share for people in need, like whatever we have, whatever one has, uh, there has been a call by the government to share to people who are in destitute need. So. The war is going to really increase that need so much, even in Addis Ababa. And that's uh, uh, one thing we have noticed as Salamta. That's probably one of the reasons we want to open a center that does a wraparound care around families who are in need of all kinds of support. So uh, if 
there would be a good way of uh, meeting the needs. I mean, starvation is one thing, medication is another thing. And, and psychosocial support is very important because some of the kids probably have witnessed losing their parents or whatever damage was happening in that part of the country is real for them. So they would need uh, counseling and psychosocial support. And those kids aren't in school as we're speaking now, where other parts of the country, kids are in school, but those kids are really struggling to get food and live alone school. So all that is going to have effect in the development of, uh, of children, particularly in that part of the region. So I think it's my prayer that, uh, that we all come together after when this is done, we do all wraparound care for children and families in that part of the country to make a, a, a big difference. So I think organizations like Salamta or other aid organizations will have to prepare ourselves to intervene in whatever areas is our expertise so that um, we can help uh, these kids build resilience in, in their life and become normal people. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to it. We could, as with all of our guests, we could talk for much, much longer than we're able to. Um, but uh, we, we're getting close to the end. If you've listened at all to the show, you know we have a couple questions we ask all of our guests. And the first is, what have you read, watched, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and vulnerable children with excellence? Recently, I've been reading a book called uh, A Child That Grew Up As a Dog. Uh, by Dr. Perry. I, I think it says a lot about early childhood development that everybody needs to understand. As I've said in the beginning, it's easier to label orphans as violent, as disrespectful, or whatever people could label those. But that book really helped me see we always have to focus on the root cause behind the behavior. Mm -hmm. It's is easier to love or hate someone based on the outward expression of the behavior. So what that book really encouraged me so much is even with the orphans that we are working, sometimes we tend to label our kids somewhere. But I think digging deep into their early childhood broad hub will be helpful to love those kids and accept them for who they are and, and work towards helping them change their behavior with all kinds of intervention plans. So that book has been a, a very challenging book for me uh, going through every and each page of the stories uh, that he tells on the book. Yeah, that's that's definitely a book that has been uh, recommended multiple times on the show. Um, I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't read it yet. Don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> but uh, I actually, as you said that, I'm like, I got to, you know, that's one that I've had on my list for a very yeah. long time. And uh, I want to 
I definitely am going to, you know, oh, well, if you know the show, you know, I'll listen to it sometime soon. So, um, but, Kara uh, just, uh, recommended that just two episodes ago. Yes. Yes. So that's, it's not just like two times. That's like two in the last three. I know I got to listen to it. I I have to also, I haven't read it. Yeah. Right after my next book, right after my next book, um, uh, that I'm listening to right now, I'm, I'm definitely going to put that on my audible. So the last, uh, last question, uh, what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Uh, I would say for me, Marissa Stan, uh, coming to work with her for the last four years, almost now, getting close to five years. I mean, she has opened my eyes to so many things. Uh, her having uh, to be trained on trauma-informed care, uh, informed care and trauma and resilience. She's been pouring so much on me and the stuff that's working in Ethiopia. Probably she is the reason, I think, why our staff is doing an extraordinary work with the children we have. They go beyond, like beyond our expectation on a daily basis. Like it's not that I ask them to do anything, but it's, it's rooted deep in their heart because Marissa has been influencing all of us to think differently. And since she has introduced us to TBRI, things have changed on the ground. Things mm. have changed. The way we do things, the way we deal with our kids at Salamta has changed significantly. And we are seeing abundant fruit and change in the lives of our children, both in the lives of our children, even personally for us, having understanding our own children at home who might have uh, an intended trauma from us as parents, you know, uh, or whatever might happen in their life. So she has been a good influence, I would say, for me personally and for all of our staff in Salanta. Absolutely. I know it, it's not just the staff at Salanta. She's impacted a lot of lives and so very grateful for her and what God's doing in and through her um, and through you and, and your team at Salanta. I know, as I was, as I said in the, in the earlier, I, I had the pleasure of meeting much of your staff and your team there and shout out to Margaret as well. You know, Margaret mm-hmm. and uh, she's a friend and uh, she's also a big advocate for the podcast. So um, definitely very uh, encouraged by you and this conversation. Thanks again for being a part of this show. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again, Tom Rott. Um, man, I just, every time I'm uh, reminded of the things going on in the world and the work that is going on in the midst of these crises that, you know, we think we have crises because we run out of toilet paper, and um man it's just amazing to think that this is going on all around the world as we've seen this season i mean unintentionally we've had the conflict in the world and the orphan crisis uh mini series this this season and i think that's it just it's not it wasn't intentional i think it's just a testament to what's going on in our world it's just a lot of stuff just a lot of junk and i think it's just a really heavy time for a lot of people but to hear Tom Rott and his, his, it was super encouraging to hear what I heard. I don't know about you, but I heard hope within the, within yeah. the, 
all this junk that's going on. There's so much goodness, so much hope, so much uh, thing, so many things to encourage us. Um, what do you take away from it? Yeah, well, I definitely think that 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 hope comes across as well, especially when you know Tomrat thinks about his own family or thinks about the work that they're able to do. You know, it's important that we have those bright spots. Um, you know, in in a in a country that seems to be um, bursting at the seams right now. You know, with um, with three million you know forcibly displaced people and. Uh, you know, it, it is good to have those, those glimmers of hope, you know, of, of new families um, coming together or, or old families uh, being reunited. Because um, that's really what, what we want to see. Um, so I do think that that hope piece is there. And, and I just, uh, you know, I, I felt like we were on a on a, on a newscast there for a minute, he gave such a, such a great yeah. rundown yeah. of, of exactly what was going on. And, and I hear that on podcasts that I listen to or on NPR or whatever. And it's, uh, you know, th- this is, this is real life. And I think that sometimes we can be, um, a little insulated from these things that are going on in the world. Um, but for us as people that have said, Hey, we want to take care and love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence. We can't ignore these things because, you know, even as we talked with Susan last time, over 5 million new orphans, how do we love them? Well, you know, Mm -hmm. as we're talking with Tom Rott today, you know, this is a 60% of the, of the 3 million kids that are for uh, the 3 million people that are forcibly displaced or under the age of 17. I mean, those are vulnerable children. Like, yeah. what do we do with that? You know? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for um, organizations like Salamta that are, that are being intentional in how they build their program and how they um, care for kids that would otherwise be separated from any type of family care. Um, and we need more, we need more, mm-hmm. you know, even for him to talk about the aid and aid's not going to get there where it needs to be. Like we need more people. We need more organizations. We need to, um, even speak to our government and international government, you know, leaders, you know, what can we do, you know, with situations like Ethiopia or like Myanmar or like El Salvador, or what have you. So, um, yeah, just glean so much and, and, and appreciate everything that, that Tom Rott was sharing with us. Yep. And the, the other thing that really stuck out to me and, and folks, if, if you have people who don't understand why we talk about the shortcomings of orphanages. Um, it's not a throw the baby out with the bathwater thing and say, we just get rid of them tomorrow and just throw our hands up and say, we can't, but to yeah. hear him say there was no psychosocial care. There was no, he doesn't remember a single counseling. He doesn't remember any that goes to so many other deeper issues. That's just one example. But with that, then you, you take that out to it's just that lack of individualized care that we need and that we get in families that we're talking about now can that happen at different levels in an institution in an orphanage of course it can will it ever replace the family and what you can get from that of course not there will always be a hole and so what does that look like how do we do it those are things obviously we can't tackle in 45 minute conversation especially when we're talking about all these other things but to hear him even talk about you know his parents right and his story that's all far too common, right? Where we have parents saying, you'll do better there. Mm -hmm. Get education, you'll get food, you'll get this. 
what they're lacking is that massive hole you cannot replace yeah. that only a family can fill. Yeah. Right. And so that was something that I was, I was encouraged that he was able to share about it. Just, this is what my story is. Yeah. And it wasn't perfect and it wasn't yet. God redeems God will, God can make all things new. We know that plasticity of the brain, he can recover but we'd rather not have to come in and rehabilitate and restore. We'd rather to be able to have, as I say, I've said this on the podcast before, I'm going to say it again. We need more boring stories, right? We need more testimonies that are like, Oh, wow, that's not that great. It is a great testimony to be a story of, I was raised in a family that was intact. My mom and dad who loved me really, really well. So that's the best testimony, right? That's a good one. And so, Anyway, that was well, and it makes really me even to me. It, yeah, it even makes me think with Tom Rott's story, and um, you know, his his dad passed away. His mom was there, but she was young, you know, and vulnerable herself. Mm-hmm. What would it look like for a nonprofit or some community or government service to step in at that point and say, "Hey, we're not going to facilitate, you know, the relinquishment of your son." Yep. But we're going to provide some other service that's exactly. going to strengthen you to care for him well. Yep. And then he never goes through the adversity of, of becoming separated or the traumas that took place there. He mentioned corporal punishment, right? which, uh, you know, I was uh, one of the things we, we're going to have uh, Dan and Mick and Caitlin on from SFAC in our next episode. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that Mick was talking about was, you know, when kids are in children's homes, um, you know, corporal punishment is not only often overdone, but those aren't even your kids, you right. know, um, like I don't spank somebody else's kids, you know, like I, I don't, we don't really do corporal punishment in my house, but like I was, you know, spanked, but it was my dad, it was my mom, you know, but like, so there's a, there's attachment there, there's connection, you know, it's, but man, for kids that are in children's homes, that's a, those aren't even your kids, you right. know, like, like, right. so that's, that's really to hear well, him, to hear yeah. him say like, it was awful, you know, like that has to mean something to us because that was what he went through. You know, yeah. I, I'm not trying to go tangential, but that just kind of stuck no, out to me. You it's know? true. Well, it goes back to that. No psychosocial care. I mean, with, with, I'm imagining the corporal punishment was more than a spank. Sure. Well, all. yeah. Yeah. Secondly, there's not the ability to come behind it and say, and you know, some people out there will be like, you never spank, you never touch a kid. Other people will say, no, it's, it's part of the deal. And, and, but there always needs to be that correction after saying, look, we love you. This is why we are disciplining you. Whatever the discipline, whatever, if you're not disciplining, I have a, I'll, let's have a conversation sure, all yeah. issues with that. So whatever the form of discipline to be able to come behind it and say, here's why it's because I love you. And now I'm not, I know there's abusive situations and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about loving parents who are not sparing the rod, whatever that looks like in your home yeah, and providing that correction, like providing right, discipline, yeah. discipline and correction. That's very biblical folks. And hopefully you're hearing, you're not, you're not hearing what, you know, you're not making things come out of this that I'm not saying, but it's something that that is not happening. Whatever that corporal punishment, it's not happening after in any way. So you're not only having corporal punishment that is very likely abuse in these situations, but there's not even a conversation about the why often 
oftentimes. Yeah. Now I'm not putting that on everything, but that's most of the time. So yeah. these are things that this is just another example, another thing that we need to go and go, okay. As I said, you know, I've said before, it's like, how do we make it better? How do we come in and say, can there be good coming out of these places that are loving kids in a short-term basis or, you know, longer than we'd want it to be? How can we make that as good as it can possibly be so that we have situations? And that's what In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence is about. That's what, you know, this podcast is about. That's what a lot of the work these different people around the world are doing is about is to say, how can we do it better? Because families aren't perfect either, right? Sure. So how can we do families better? How can we strengthen families? How can we alleviate poverty? There will be poverty, but how can we make it so that it's not debilitating? Yeah. Right. And so those are things that we can come into. So with that, there's things we can learn from. He said a book that you and I both admittedly have not read. And both of us probably are on people's like naughty list because of that. <laughs> but um, what's you do have a recommendation of something you have read. Yes. So why don't you uh, go ahead and share that with us? Well, you know, I was kind of thinking through I haven't done uh, a, a true recommendation in a while. Uh, and uh, I was a. Uh, hearing his story and him giving the background of what's going on in the country and all the geopolitical stuff and, and all of that. And I thought of a book that I read and I read it in grad school. So it is a, it is a thicker <laughs> graduate level type of reading, but um, I absolutely loved it. It's the type of book that you would look at and be like, that looks like the most boring book in the world. It was mm -hmm. not at all. It was incredibly engaging, um, especially if you're into modern world history. Um, but the book is called Humanitarianism, War and Politics, Solferina, so, sorry, Solferino to Syria and beyond. So basically, they go through these different eras of conflict, primarily looking from um, when, you know, humanitarianism kind of uh, became a thing. So you talk about the International Red Cross and and basically carrying that all the way up through the Cold War, and you get these conflicts, including in Sub-Saharan Africa, like the like the Rwandan conflict and genocide, and and all of that, and it gets into you know uh, the former Yugoslavia and all of these different conflicts, and basically what was going on uh, in in the humanitarianism and and what was going on as far as like reaching people um, when those things are happening and you know, that's happening right before our eyes, right? I mean, he's literally describing what the situation is um, in the Tigray region and then bleeding down into other parts of the country there in Ethiopia. Um, this is happening in other places right now. I mean, the Central Africa Republic is, has been in conflict, um, Myanmar, which we've talked about. So there are these really large um, conflicts that are happening. And it's important that we understand, you know, what is happening from the international side? What, what are some of these trends? Um, and, and what are ways that we can try and help? So uh, the book, Humanitarianism, War and Politics by Peter Hoffman and Thomas Weiss. Uh, I, it, was, it was fascinating. Lots of underlines, uh, really, really great book and, and helps to put uh, stuff like what, what Tom Rott was sharing with us in, the, in a broader con, uh, context. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what, what are the effects, you know, nationally for these countries that, that go through these uh, large scale conflicts. So uh, yeah, definite recommend. I, I don't know of, of the, of the, all the people that listen to our podcast, if I have one or two people that say, I'm going to go read that book, please message me and let me know. 
not only because I want to, not only because I want to commend you, but also because I want to talk about it with you. It's a great book. I'm curious who those people are too. So copy me on that email. Yeah, there you go. And and for the rest of you, I'm going to have a a recommendation next episode that's that's got a, a book with pictures. And it's a little bit shorter and um, you don't even need to underline it because you just remember the, the idea. Um, but that's just a little, that's a little teaser. Th- those are the, you know, again, yeah. if you've listened to this long enough, you know, those are the books that I recommend. And Brandon <laughs> historically has books that are a bit headier. Let's my, now I my, read those books too. I just, I just don't remember them, you know, usually like he does, he, you know, but he, he got his degree more recent than I did. So I think that's my, part my, of it. my book has pictures. It has maps. Oh, okay, good. And probably graphs and all kinds of cool yeah. stuff like that. So yes, exactly. Graphs that you may or may not be able to understand and, uh, and read. So that's okay. Um, anyway, no, but in all seriousness, folks, thank you again for being a part of this show. Thanks for, for who you are and what you're doing. I imagine if you're listening to this show, you're doing some really cool things for the kingdom. And I, and I just want to encourage you in that. I know it gets hard. I know it gets tiresome. And I know sometimes we're really discouraged that nothing's happening, but, but trust me, that things are happening, whether you're hearing about them or not. Um, no doubt that if you're pursuing what God has for you, that some amazing things are happening. And so I just want to encourage you with that as we, as we come into the year end, I know, especially with nonprofits working, it's a time that we get tired we get worn out. We're, we're stressing about money and all these other things. I just want to encourage you to take time for yourself to rest and you need that and it will make you more effective in the things you are doing. So with that, I just, I just hope that you, uh, you're taking what you're learning on this show and you're helping it to make you a better leader. You're helping it to help you understand how you can, how can you do the work you're doing better? And, you know, most, mostly as we talk about all the time, I hope that you're taking what you learn on this show and you're using it to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.